Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Michael Yarbrough from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Digication Scholars Conversation series can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. In part one, we introduced Michael Yarbrough in COVID-19 at CUNY, a class project, which his students created after the spring 2020 semester was abruptly interrupted and transitioned online. When we finished part one, we were talking with Michael about his teaching philosophy. What, what shaped that philosophy? What, what made you, you know, think the way that you do as a professor, as a facilitator to your students? The second I arrived in a CUNY classroom, I just came alive. I was, this is where I was meant to be. Um, I really related to the students to a degree I didn't anticipate. And I think part of this is my, the working class background that I actually um, had some more similar experiences to them than I expected or than many of them expected um, from, you know, because most of their professors are not from that kind of background as well. Um, and then when I arrived at John Jay in my permanent um, position, my first semester, I had this kind of lightning bolt moment um, in the a class I teach often called Introduction to Law and Society. And I was teaching um, this classic text in our field written by this guy named Malcolm Feely called The Process is the Punishment. And that text is about lower criminal courts. And, and Malcolm Feely did an ethnography of lower criminal courts in, in, in New Haven in the late 1970s. And he studied how um, criminal defendants got sort of pushed into plea bargains by the dynamics in the classroom, in the courtroom. And so I was teaching this in class, and one of the students said, oh, that happened to my cousin last week. And it was this revelation for me that I, I should have anticipated, you know, looking back, I think about my own blind spots back then, but it, it in that moment, it became clear that the field that I was in and the material I was there to teach was directly part of my own students' lives. Um, and that that meant that our classroom was something even more exciting than I anticipated because they actually brought into the classroom their own knowledge about the stuff that we were studying academically. Um, and that was particularly exciting for me because in the field of law and society, there aren't really a lot of programs that have lots of students like this. Most law and society programs are at liberal arts colleges and so forth. Um, and so being at a place like CUNY to me felt like, well, there's something really revolutionary that can happen in these classrooms because, you know, it's a set of students who are in some ways the first, potentially the first generation of students who actually experiences the stuff we study in class to study it themselves. Um, and so all of my classes since then kind of moved in that direction of really emphasizing student research on their own experiences, their own lives, um, in order to produce um, knowledge that would be recognized as knowledge, not only within their own communities, but also in the broader outside world. Um, and the COVID-19 at, at CUNY project, although it wasn't planned, you know, I didn't, we didn't plan for there to be a pandemic in the spring, but when circumstances sort of played out that way, um, it became a way to, to pursue that vision um, 
on this specific um, topic. And, and I, I'm just still so thrilled with how the students took it and ran with it. This explains so much why you, you were so quick to be able to do this. Because I know a lot of professors <clears throat> during COVID, even now, right? Mm. I mean, it's not gone away. Uh, you know, you, you know it, it, they have a hard time already just transitioning mm. to an online or remote sort of format, depending on, you know, their, their, their institutions and what's available to them. Um, but they also um, have a hard time trying to think academically in the curriculum, can we tie COVID to this? Mm. Can, is it possible? Should we? Um, or do I just stick with my existing mm -hmm. materials? Yeah. Right. And one thing that I, I thought it was really beautiful and I you, you you said that the students are almost themselves are the production of the knowledge as they live mm. it mm. right and that's that's amazing and and there is a I mean I can only imagine the level of engagement that students have um, would be so different when than when it is it seems theoretical or academic, mm. Mm. right? You read about it and 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 that's it, right? Uh, it seems abstract. It seems removed. It seems like um, the kind of things that, you know, it's harder to grasp. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I wish that many more things, there are many more opportunities like that. I kind of wonder whether we can. I mean, think about everything from climate crisis mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. you know, sort of the sort of all kinds of contemporary problems that we have in society. Uh, it, I think that there is there are a lot more opportunities for students to feel like they can be engaged through, you know, the, so to speak, academic part of the learning, mm -hmm. but at the same time, engage with their own lives and, and also have their own voices to be heard and, and their own situations to be seen by others, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what you've had your students published, I think it's really, I mean, that's what it did for me, because I, you know, of course, I, um, during that, during the summer, by then, I think we've already, um, been uh uh had listened to governor cuomo's uh <laughs> um uh reports a lot and i think actually it was last weekend like the like couple days in the saturday night life they 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 had a skit on on it being a, a dramedy mm. um, <laughs> documentary dramedy right <laughs> which is an hour from from governor cuomo every every day for the last <laughs> you know, month um but I think that you know there 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 is uh there is there's just something so real about being able to uh uh, uh see almost immediately what you do in class and it, it impacts their lives in such dramatic and impactful ways um, can you think of other See, here's the thing that I'm I'm starting to to get from you, Michael, mm -hmm. and I, I respect this so much. You so it's not 
one moment of genius during the spring. Oh, we should do this. Came up with this awesome project, and there we go. It's the building of this came from, like you said, it's it's your background. It's lots of experience and and having seen the impact of when you involve their lives. This is not the first time you did it.、Mm. Um, it just happens to be the first time you did it through COVID because that didn't、mm. happen before. But I so I like I am looking at this trajectory and I'm seeing well you know the world is never going to be free of trouble, free of mm. issues. Mm. So. In 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 that regard, how do you see sort of moving forward? Did you learn something from this experience that that will that will make you,、um, you know, how you would you react in new in future classes?、Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've learned the value、uh, of doing this this kind of of work. I, I agree with you that there's a lot of power in thinking about higher education in this way.、Um, In in students' lives as sources of of learning in themselves, I think that's particularly important because you know the the average college student is not really the person that many of us has in our head when we think about college student, right? Eighty five percent of college students don't live on campus; they don't go away to big state school or to you know a fancy private school.、Um, that's Um, the exception, not the rule. Most students are living at home,、um, either with their parents or with their children, as that the,、uh, they're raising themselves、um, while working multiple jobs and so forth. And so that means most college students are experiencing the problems very directly that、um, our societies face, and they are rich sources of knowledge for that.、Um, you know, I think this particular experience. One of the things I learned from it. Was how there can be a lot of value and a lot of learning,、um, even just in recording and retelling experiences and making connections between them.、Um, I am a social scientist, and I try to do rigorous social science research, and I've done a lot of that with my students, including、uh, work that we do on their on their own. Experiences,、um, and there's some other projects、um, that I'm involved with at John Jay that I can speak about that do that. And, and often I'm trying to meet very kind of high standards of academic rigor and being, you know, publishable research and, and those kinds of things. This project was a bit different from that because we were sort of making it up as we went along by necessity、um, because of the circumstances we were going through,、um, and it became.、Um, Almost more humanistic in some ways、uh, that that just the act of recording stories and telling them.、Um, for example, one of the things I think that's so important about the project is the emotion that it conveys.、Um, you know, the painful emotions, particularly in the early part of the timeline, sort of right after we went offline,、uh, right, right after we went kind of away off campus. Um, and deaths and cases were increasing, and and students were under a lot of stress. And then towards the end of the semester, there's I think this other,、um, under the circumstances, unexpected emotion of joy and and hope that comes through as the students approach their own graduation, and they're they're sad that there won't be a commencement ceremony, but they created a sort of commencement celebration among themselves.、Um, 
through through music and videos and stuff that they compiled together. And to me, that was very important. Um, you know, some social science will try to kind of take the emotions out, right, and focus on the what happened to whom and what are the variables that shaped, you know, whether someone was more likely to get tested or less likely or so on and so forth. And I think that kind of research is extremely important. Um, but what I'm particularly proud of when I look at the work the students did on on um, the the portfolio they put together is how I think they really bring you into what it was like to be them in that moment, <laughs> what yeah, they were feeling so right. at the time. And, and that's important data also, right? I think that, you know, it, it puts, as we, as they put it on the, on the, the portfolio, it puts a face on the statistics. We knew that CUNY was very affected in the spring. That was more affected than any university, but what did that really look like? What did that really feel like? And my students, I think, taught me the value of that kind of research also through this project. For example, Samantha Rodriguez, one student in the class, included an audio diary entry about how her work life was rapidly changing even just in the first week after quarantine started, providing key insight into what it was like to live through those moments. I have mentioned before, I do work at Starbucks, so it's a little bit difficult and a lot to adjust to at the same time. So for today, um, I actually got a promotion at Starbucks from a barista to a shift manager, and today was my first training day. Um, that didn't go as planned, simply because of everything that has been going on. So it was more of a quick training on how to do certain things that are obligated in the position. And then I was just thrown on the floor, basically given everything to handle because I was getting trained from my store manager, but a lot of new information came out today because of the whole virus situation. As Monica and Jeff discussed, this project became an honest story of the tumultuous time, a piece of history. Um, I just remember this project really being distinct because everybody was kind of very honest and trustworthy. And like, there was, there was a sense to the, to the conversation that wasn't, what a normal group project would be would be like where you get assigned you know someone does this someone does that um x y and z needs to be done it wasn't really like that it was more like you know let's talk about our experience um let's kind of analyze what's happening you know see what could have been done better see what worked see what didn't um and also at the same time get a glimpse and also aid you know our peers in in getting through this time because that's that was the most important thing I feel like out of this group project to me because we were all going through this tough time we all didn't know what was going to be the next step and we were just trying to get through it and what ended up having happening afterwards was that we gathered all this information and we took it apart and we analyzed it and we went through it and went through it and we were just like wow there's so much stuff that could be exposed to everybody and everybody could relate to, even if it's just a fragment of what somebody quoted from, you know, their journal or their, you know, written diary or an interview that they did with somebody else from our, from their community. Um, it just exposed so many like real live experiences that anybody could follow from anywhere around this, you know, the world at this moment in time. You're right. I think it, this will serve as an important piece of history in an archive of our history um, as not 
you know, as the nation, but also of, you know, just humanity, you know, on 2020, it's something that it hit every corner of, of the planet. With this idea of creating an important and shareable piece of history, we go back to Michael and Jeff's conversation and the powerful stories and perspectives shared in the project. I first saw it in September, and of course, by September, um, things already looked a lot different in New York. Right. Right. Um, right. Things have cer- certainly calmed down a lot, you know, in at least in New York City, right. um, comparing to you know, the, the times of March and April and, and May. Um, and I remember clicking through those months in the portfolio, the timeline. Man, I play back the, the videos and the audio recordings mm. of the students, but you can hear it in their voice, you mm. know. Mm. Some of them are, I mean, they're genuinely worried. They're genuinely um they're genuinely um, under under this threat. It's a potentially existential threat mm-hmm. for them, um, both you know for the maybe for themselves, for their friends, for their families. Um, that's that's a that's a that's something that is really hard to just get from listening to statistics. The timeline of spring 2020 section of the project shows the parallel between the statistics and what the students were experiencing in their lives. In March, one student, Paula, took a few seconds to update her classmates about the status of her family, showing the realities of living at this epicenter. The thing that's been on my mind these past couple of days is like how all of my family operates in like super high functioning, like anxious and intense personalities that when all of these personalities are at home at one time and there's so much anxiety um or like you said maybe so to speak the more traditional sort of research data Mm -hmm. more academic writing about it Mm -hmm. it's almost like you hear that and then you just i remember think like really it just dug into the emotional side of of the audience, you know, and, and, but you, but by doing that, it's not just being emotional. I think that it does create a whole different way of looking at something. Mm. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something that I was trained as an architect, but really was mm. trained in an art and design school. And, and that kind of emotions was something that is difficult to access, mm-hmm. uh, and we we were trained to do the, those things. You know, people that do paintings, make films, they're trying to create these emotions, and it's really hard to to research in the traditional sense sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've done it in in this, which is which is amazing. The students' diaries included many written statements and vlogs about changes in the workplace, worries for friends and family, and the impact of isolation. To illustrate the raw emotion captured in this timeline, we wanted to share one more clip from the end of March showing that even so early on in the pandemic, the tolls of isolation were felt. When it comes to isolation, it also is a disadvantage for people that have depression like myself. So when I'm in isolation, it takes its toll even more on me, but I will get through this. 
Um, now, one of the thing one of the things that I I also loved is that then you came up with or you and your students it sounds like came up with four main research themes in which they mm. took part in um, work and money education and news health and healthcare family and relationships I I I when I saw these themes again they weren't academic. To mm. me, it was just it hit home to, oh man, like I I get why these are the themes, and they all mean so much. And want to talk a little bit about that, um, okay. how that came about, and what you thought of the outcome. Sure. Um, there was also a fifth theme of anxiety and coping, but it doesn't have a separate heading on the portfolio because the anxiety cuts across all the other four. All of them. <laughs> That's so right. people, people were anxious about work. They were anxious about education. They were anxious about their health, certainly. Um, and so the students decided rather than to separate that out, it actually made sense to integrate the discussion of it into um, the other four as it related to them. Um, you know, these themes emerged very much out of conversation with the students on the WhatsApp chat in particular. Um, and if, as students were sharing their diaries, um, kind of picking up on the things that were recurring and the things they were writing about. And, to, and I would say, I, you know, I kind of noticed this as something that emerges a lot. Um, and, and students would give some feedback on that. Um, and through that kind of settled on uh, what they wanted to, to focus on. We actually did do a, a poll at one point that kind of voted on what themes we want to have as groups and which groups they wanted to join and so forth. Um, one of the decisions that came out of that, for example, was that there was an interest in in the the fake news stuff and the the memes that were getting spread of that with incorrect information about or sometimes just unknown information about how the spread happens or what treatments work and these kinds of things. Um, and that was an interest that students had. And then there was also this interest in how it was affecting their education and students start to see these things as linked seeing how, you know, regular folks across the country may or may not have the education to understand how to assess these things that are coming by their, you know, coming across social media on Facebook and Twitter and so forth with these claims about how COVID is spread. Um, and so that's something that really came from the students that they saw that how COVID was affecting education is also connected to how um, it was affecting the news that was being spread. Um, the students then sort of signed up for the groups they were more, most interested in. Um, once we had the kind of five things categorized and, um, uh, and I think that was particularly valuable too, because I think miss, many of the students signed up for the groups where they had the most anxiety. Right. So students were having problems at work. They signed up for the work and money group. Students um, who um, either had had health scares in their family or for many of them who had healthcare workers in their family signed up for the healthcare group. Um, and so that meant that the work groups themselves became a space where students could kind of process some of the stuff they were anxious about, but through the guise of research. The students' autonomy in selecting the themes and acknowledgement of the expertise the class possessed via their lived experiences rang true during Monica's conversation. 
want to talk a little bit about how those research themes appear and what it was like to come up with them and what was that dynamic like between, you know, in the class? So I remember when we first initiated the, after the, e- the first email where he asked us if we wanted to do this as a collective project, then it was followed by a second email. And it, um, it basically asked us to, to think about this time and, you know, what some of our questions were immediate questions that just arose, like arose. Um, and I remember everybody just started writing a couple of notes down. And then as time went, you know, then we started making more concrete questions. And then once these questions, um, you know, we all like looked at these questions and we were like, so what's, what's something that attaches all these questions together? Um, so what the, the work groups did um, was they gathered news stories that were relevant to their theme and then based on that devised interview questions. So go out and ask someone about their experiences. What are the kinds of things we should ask if we want to understand how they're experiencing healthcare or how they're experiencing work? And immediately a lot of people were talking about work, um, you know, the economic standard of like what was happening because I remember at one point, all businesses that were not essential had to shut down. So that was something that we definitely wanted to work on. And um, we felt was very important because it wasn't just affecting, you know, the big major companies. It was also affecting small business people. It was affecting, um, you know, regular people. And I felt like it was something we needed to talk about. Immediately, questions of health and personal health were absolutely something that we needed to cover because because we all, you know, we're still so unsure of what to expect with COVID. Um, and that was incredibly valuable, I have to say, because students were able to ask questions they, that came from their own experience. They knew questions to ask that I wouldn't even have thought of. Um, so, for example, almost all of my students um, work part-time And so they were all experiencing things on their own jobs around, say, how benefits were going to be handled moving forward, or if they were furloughed, but then coming back, or if they were just laid off. Because they were directly experiencing this, the students knew exactly, you know, different terms of of, of employment and so forth. And so these really rich conversations emerged just among students about how, say, this big box employer is handling things versus this small restaurant versus you know different kinds of places that students worked. Um, and so they used that to generate interview questions that then could be asked of other people. That, like I said, if I had just been writing the interview questions myself, I wouldn't have thought to ask those things. Um, it was really the students themselves who came up with that. In the beginning, but also throughout, you know, people were experiencing things related to COVID when they contracted COVID in different ways. Everybody had different symptoms that they were bringing into discussion. Um, so I remember, you know, those two fields being huge and very important. Um, I know other classmates were talking about education, knowledge, and news as something that we definitely needed to cover because it was a time where education was being affected and we were experiencing it. Um, and it was also important to know where you were getting um, all your information, your knowledge, and how this was affecting your rationale and your decision making during this time. I remember that. Um, and I, I almost forgot what the, oh, f- the fourth one is family and relationships, which is huge. I mean, we were all talking about 
I remember throughout our journals and our conversations about how this was affecting our family dynamics. I mean, there were certain family structures where once somebody got ill, somebody else needed to pick up the slack. So that was something that we definitely, we saw changes in that happen, uh, happening. We also saw, you know, what happens if, you know, you and your spouse per se are in different places. And you have to be in certain different spaces because of the fact that, you know, somebody's ill or somebody contracted or somebody was exposed. So I felt like that was something definitely we needed to talk about. Um, And also, you know, just in general, like how, you know, people were dealing with their own like insecurity with the time. Um, I remember that was super important because that also changed the dynamics of people's relationships and how they looked um, at the situation. I mean, I remember. And I think that was incredibly valuable as a learning experience for the students because it really showed them how the kinds of things they experience every day that I think often are devalued in our society or seen as kind of irrelevant or everyone knows about that already or not that important. Um, But they were actually able to see, no, I actually have knowledge. I have expertise that even my professor doesn't have, right? Even he wouldn't be able to generate this question, but I can generate this um, because of something I know in my life. Um, And I think that's really important. I think a lot of my students, a lot of CUNY students come from communities that are historically not respected as reservoirs of knowledge. They're seen as communities that have problems, but not as communities that know about those problems and have solutions to them. and that knowledge is a skill. Um, I mean, even coming to something as, as specific as language, you know, many of my students are bilingual because they come from immigrant communities and they grow up speaking multiple languages. And, but because it's just part of their world, they don't think of that as a skill, but that they've actually got something extra, right? That, um, that you know, folks who only speak English don't have. And that's just the most concrete example of a whole body of experience they have, a whole set of skills they have um, that our society needs um, and that they're prepared to offer to our society. This concludes part two of our conversation with Michael Yarbrough from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Join us next week for part three to hear Michael share more about his teaching philosophy. Be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Education Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative ePortfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Jessica Chittle. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for watching.